بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما إن شاء الله today we will continue with the seerah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم last week we made mention of the plan of Abu Jahl after he saw the situation of the Quraysh and he saw that some of them were not able to control themselves when they heard the recitation of the Quran. After the Prophet recited Surah Al-Najm in front of the people, and he made sajda, and the kuffar of the Quraysh, they made sajda along with him. When Abu Jahl, and Abu Jahl himself was one of the, those who made sajda as well, after hearing the recitation of the surah. So when he saw that this is what the situation had become, that listening to the Quran, a person who was a disbeliever was not even able to control himself and make sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he saw that the situation had reached such a level, he decided to come up with a new plan to stop the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ. And the past few weeks, we've been talking about all of the plans of the Quraysh that they tried to stop the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ and how they failed every time. So they're trying to think of something new, something they haven't tried before. So Abu Jahl, he came up with this idea to start an economic and social boycott of the tribes that were protecting the Prophet Muhammad As we mentioned, the Quraysh was a big tribe and it had many sub-tribes. It had many clans within the tribe. And the tribe or the sub-clan, the clan of the Prophet he was from the family of Abdul Muttalib. So Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim, they were the ones who were providing protection to the Prophet ﷺ. They were the ones who were making sure that nobody could kill the Prophet ﷺ or nobody could physically harm him. So he was under the protection of Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim. So Abu Jahl, he came up with this idea that all of the other clans of the Quraysh, all of the other sub-tribes of the Quraysh, they should unite against these two clans. All of the Quraysh unite against Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim and organize a boycott against them. An economic boycott and a social boycott. By economic boycott, we mean that they agreed not to sell anything to Bani Abdul Muttalib or Bani Hashim and not to buy anything from Bani Abdul Muttalib or Bani Hashim. And as for the social boycott, they were not to have any type of friendly relations with these two clans. Meaning, they would not marry into those clans and they would not allow anyone from those clans to marry outside of those two clans. So this was the decision that Abu Jahl and his companions 
decided upon. It was the idea of Abu Jahl and he consulted with other heads of the Kuffar of the Quraysh and this was the conclusion that they came to, to organize this type of a uh, social and economic boycott against those clans who were protecting the Prophet Muhammad and that was Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim. So they actually wrote out a document with the conditions of this boycott. They started it with the words Bismikallahum in your name Ya Allah and as we mentioned before the Kuffar of the Quraysh they believed in Allah but they also worshipped idols besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the false belief that those idols could bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they believed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was their creator. If you were to ask them who created you, they would say Allah. So they wrote at the beginning of this document, Bismikallahum, in your name, O Allah. And then they wrote down the terms of the boycott that all of the clans of the Quraysh, they would economically and socially boycott Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim. They wouldn't buy or sell from them. They wouldn't marry their daughters to them. And they wouldn't take their daughters as wives for their sons. So they signed this agreement. All of the VIPs of the Quraysh that Abu Jahl had gathered, they signed it. And they decided to take that paper, to take that document and go inside the Kaaba and hang it on one of the walls of the Kaaba. And they thought by doing this, they would be giving it more importance. Like this document, we put it inside the Kaaba. So everyone has to respect this document and nobody can go against it. That was their reasoning for putting it inside the Kaaba so that the people would respect it and its contents more and they would be scared to go against what was written in that document. So when Abu Talib, when he heard about this plan, he decided that he needed to organize his people. He needed to make sure that because they were going to be boycotted from the rest of the tribe, that they had to at least stay united and stick together. And it's more important when everyone is against you and it's just you and a few people, then you have to make sure that you stick together. Because if you're not even united and your enemies all unite against you, then you're going to be in big trouble. So when your enemies unite against you, it's more important for you to make sure that you are united as well. So Abu Talib, he realized the importance of this, that now Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim, they have to stay together and they have to make sure that they keep their unity because they're not going to get help from the outside tribes. So Abu Talib, he ordered these two clans, Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim to actually leave the main city of Mecca and go to a valley by the mountain of Abi Qubais. And this valley later became known as Shi'b Abi Talib, the valley of Abu Talib, because he is the one who ordered these two clans to go and camp out in this area. 
And the reason why he did that was so that everyone would be together. If they were staying in Mecca, you know, then some, some of them would be in one part of Mecca, some of them would be in another part of Mecca. But if they're staying in the Shi'ab, if they're staying in the valley, then all of them would be together and they would be stronger because they were united. So the tribes of Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim, they re relocated to the Shi'ab, the Shi'ab Abi Talib. And they stayed there and they took whatever supplies they could with them. And some of them had wealth as well. Like we know that the wife of the Prophet وسلم, Khadija anha, she was a very wealthy woman. So they were able to sustain themselves by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some time. At the beginning, they had enough wealth to continue to have their provisions and to continue to have food from amongst themselves. But because they were completely boycotted from the outside, soon that money ran out. And some people ask this question sometimes. Khadija radiallahu anha, the great wife of the Prophet wasallam, she was very wealthy and we spoke about that before. So what happened to all of that wealth? When she passed away, what happened to that wealth? We don't hear of the Prophet wasallam still having that wealth or his family still having that wealth. What happened to all of that wealth? Khadija radiallahu anha, she used up all of the remainder of her wealth during that period of boycott. During the period of boycott, she spent everything that she had left taking care of the clans that were boycotted by the kuffar of the Quraysh. Subhanallah. This was Khadija radiallahu anha. This was the honorable position that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her. So whoever had wealth amongst them, like Khadija radiallahu anha and some others, they spent as much as they could to continue to take care of themselves. But after some time, it all ran out. After some time, it ran out. And they were unable to do any type of trade with the rest of the Quraysh. Nobody would sell to them and nobody would buy from them. So then they started to suffer. And the kuffar of the Quraysh took it to such an extent that not only were they boycotting them themselves, but any caravans that would come from the outside, any foreigners that would come in to Mecca. And we know that Mecca was a place where people were constantly coming in and out because of the pilgrimage. So traders would come from different parts of the peninsula and they would come into Mecca. Now the kuffar of the Quraysh, they would warn even these people from doing any business with Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim. They said, you can't do business with those people in the Shi'ab. Don't do any business with those people in the valley. And they used different techniques to make sure that they were obeyed, to make sure that these foreigners would not do any business with these two clans. Sometimes they would use scare tactics. They would say to them, look, if we hear that you're doing any business with these people, then we will not do any business with you ever again. Your business in Mecca will be finished forever. So they used to use these scare tactics with them sometimes. Other times, they would try to appeal to their sense of greed. They would say, look, don't sell anything to them. We will give you double or triple or four times more than what any of them can give you. So they would buy all of the supplies 
and they would offer an inflated price so that Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim didn't have any chance to buy any of these goods even from the outside. So now imagine the situation. They have run out of supplies from within themselves. The other tribes of the Quraysh are not doing any type of business with them, not selling them any food and not buying anything from them. And the people who are even coming from outside with supplies, the Quraysh is not allowing them to do business with them either. So what do you think happened? They were really constricted in this type of a situation and they suffered very greatly. They suffered greatly for a period of three years. This is not something that just lasted a few days or a few weeks or even a few months. It lasted for three years. And the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were patient with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It had reached such an extent, the hunger that they were suffering from, it had reached such an extent that the cries of children could be heard every night in the Shib of Abi Talib in this valley. You could hear children crying all the time because even the children, they didn't have food. And Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas one of the great companions of the Prophet وسلم, he mentions an incident that happened when this boycott was taking place. He said the people were so hungry and he was so hungry as well that one night he went out to urinate. He went out into the land so that he could uh, take care of his need and he urinated. And when he urinated, he heard some sound. Like when it was hitting the ground, he heard that it's not the same type of sound that if it's hitting dirt, there is something under there. There's some kind of a ruffling sound that he was hearing. So he said, okay, there's something there. So when he finished, he looked and he saw that it was some skin of a dead camel. Skin of a dead camel. So he took that skin, he washed it, and he cooked it and he ate it for a period of three days. Dead skin from a camel. And he had to cook that and eat it and it was his food for a period of three days. SubhanAllah. So this gives you some insight to the level of suffering that they were going through, to the level of hunger that they were in, subhanAllah. But still they remained patient upon the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they knew that the reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be greater than any type of suffering that they had to go through in this world. Now there were some people from the leaders of the Quraysh that didn't agree with what was going on. Even though they weren't Muslims, they felt that this was a very dishonorable thing that Abu Jahl had come up with. These people, they are still from the Quraysh. They are still from our tribe. Some of them are Muslims. Some of them are not Muslims. How can we treat these people in such a way? They are our blood. They are our kin. They are our close relatives. How can we treat them in such a way? This is not from the honor of the Arabs to do something like this. So there were actually some of the high up people in the Quraysh who were very against what was going on. They didn't think that it was something that an honorable person would do. So what they used to do, some of them, is they used to actually smuggle food 
into the ship, Abi Talib. They used to smuggle food into the valley so that those people who were suffering there would have something to eat. Even though they weren't Muslims themselves, they felt that this is just something that's not right. Morally and ethically, this is something that cannot be justified. <coughs> so one of them who used to smuggle food into the valley was a man named Hakim ibn Huzam. And at that time he was not a Muslim, but later on he accepted Islam. But even that time when he wasn't a Muslim, he felt that what the Quraysh were doing under the leadership of Abu Jahl, he felt that this was wrong, that this was unjustifiable. And he used to go in the night and he used to take a camel and he used to load it with supplies and food. And he used to sneak into the entrance of the valley and leave that food for those people. And then he would sneak back into the main city of Mecca. So he had some honor in him, even though he wasn't a Muslim at that time. But Abu Jahl, Abu Jahl was a person who was very paranoid. And he always feared that, yeah, maybe someone is going to be trying to sneak food to them. Maybe someone is going to try to do this and that. So he was always spying on the area. He was always coming to the area of the valley to make sure that nobody from Mecca was coming in or out or dealing with those people. So one day while Abu Jahl was doing his regular spying, he saw Hakim ibn Huzam going towards the valley with a camel full of food. And he suspected that nah, this guy is trying to smuggle some food into the valley. So he confronted him and he said, Ila ain ya Hakim, where are you going? Ya Hakim. And Hakim said, I'm just going to my home. I'm just going home. He said, no, you're not going home. Nobody goes to their home with a camel full of food like this. You're going to the shi'ad. You're going to the valley to smuggle this food to the Muslims and to Bani Abdul Muttalib and to Bani Hashim. And Hakim said, okay, so what? Maybe I am doing that. How can you feel comfortable in your home relaxing while you know that these people from your tribe they are from Quraysh, just like you are from Quraysh, and they are suffering and they don't have food to feed their children and they are starving. How can you, how can you sleep at night knowing that this is the situation? And then Abu Jahl was very angry. He said, no, we made the document and we signed it and we kept it inside the Kaaba and there's no way that you can go against what was agreed upon. So this big argument started between Abu Jahl and Hakim ibn Huzam. And after some time during this argument another one of the leaders of the Quraysh happened to pass by and he listened to what they had to say and he agreed with Hakim he said to Abu Jahl Hakim is right that this is something that is not it is not something that is honorable for the Arabs to do something like this we are known as people of honor we are so generous to our guests, even people who come from the outside. These are not even guests. These are people from our own tribe. And we're letting them starve like this? No, this is something that is not consistent with the morals and the values of the Arabs. But Abu Jahl, he wouldn't hear any of it. He was very mad. He was very angry. And he said, from now on, 
I'm going to make sure that nobody comes close to this valley and that nobody can come and supply them with anything. So after that, he even became more strict in his spying of that area and he became more strict in making sure that nobody from Mecca goes and provides anything for the people who were in that valley. So this was the evil of Abu Jahl. He was not a person of honor, even though the Arabs were known for, for being generous and for showing compassion towards others. Abu Jahl, he didn't have that characteristic in him. And that is because he was the most evil of the people. He was the Fir'aun of this Ummah. So the boycott continued and now it was even more difficult for the people in the valley to get anything because even the smuggling stopped because Abu Jahl put a stop to that and he made sure that the controls were very strict and that nobody could come in and out of that valley. So they suffered. They suffered for a long period of time and it went to a period of about three years that they stayed in that valley boycotted by the rest of the Quraysh. After about three years, some of the leaders of the Quraysh, they had enough of this. They said, this has gone too far. Three years and they're hungry and suffering like that. This is something that has exceeded all limits. This is something that is unacceptable. We need to do something about this. There were few of them, a few of those leaders from the Quraysh who felt this way. One of them was a man named Hisham ibn Amr. Hisham ibn Amr, he spoke to a companion of his named Zuhair ibn Abi Umayyah. So Hisham and Zuhair, they discussed this issue of the boycott and they said, look man, this has gone too far. Three years they're suffering and starving. We need to put an end to this. And Zuhair agreed with him. Zuhair said, yes, I agree with you. You're right. But it's only you and me. We're only two people. Two people against the rest of the Quraysh. We need more strength in numbers. We need more people to join our team. So they decided to find another person who would support them. So they found a man named Mut'im ibn Adi. And they spoke to him about it. And he agreed with them as well. He said, yes, you are right. This is not from the characteristics of the Arabs. This is not from the nobility of the Arabs, the way that these people are being treated. We need to put an end to it. But then they said, okay, but still, we're only three people. We need more. So they went and they spoke to another one, another one of the leaders of the Quraysh. And his name was Abu al-Bukhtari ibn Hisham. Abu al-Bukhtari ibn Hisham. And they spoke to him about it and he agreed with them as well. So now they had four people. They had Hisham ibn Amr. They had Zuhair ibn Abi Umayyah. They had Mut'am ibn Adi. And now they have Abu al-Bukhtari ibn Hisham. They have four people who have agreed that they need to end this boycott. But still they said four, it's not enough. We need at least one more, five. So they said, okay, let's search for a fifth one. So they spoke to Zum'ah ibn al-Aswad and he agreed with them as well. He said, yes, you are right. We need to put an end to this boycott immediately. So five of them 
came up with this idea, they came up with this plan, they discussed how they were going to carry it out as well. So they decided that the way that they are going to get support for their plan, and they were very, very smart and intelligent in the way that they devised it. The next day, after they spoke about it in the night, the next day there was the regular meeting of the heads of the Quraysh in the Darul Nadwa. They used to meet in the Darul Nadwa and discuss matters of interest. So these five people who had decided that we need to put an end to the boycott, they each came into the Darul Nadwa where all of the leaders of the Quraysh had gathered and they placed themselves strategically in different positions of the building. They didn't all five stand together. One of them stood on this side, one of them stood in the middle, one of them stood here, one of them stood here, one of them was there. So they, they basically placed themselves in different positions of the building. And their plan was to make it look like everyone was in agreement with them. So first Hisham ibn Amr, he stood up and he said, I want to talk about the boycott. I think that this boycott has gone too far and we need to end it. And Abu Jahl, when he heard this, he said, no, this is something that we agreed upon and we have placed the document in the Kaaba and we need to stop the da'wah of Muhammad. So this is something that is very important and we have all agreed upon this. And then Zuhair, who was not sitting next to Hisham, he stands up and he says, no, I think Hisham is right. What he is saying is correct that this boycott has gone too far and it is not from the noble characteristics of the Arabs that we do something like this. And then Abu Jahl said, what are you talking about? Then Mut'am ibn Adi, he stands up and he says, yeah, they're right. Exactly what they're saying is correct. We need to end this boycott immediately. And then Abu Jahl is trying to talk to all three of them. Then suddenly Abu al-Bukhtari, he stands up and he says, yes, they're right. We need to end this immediately. It has gone too far. And then on the other side of the building, Zum'a ibn al-Aswad, he stands up and he says, yes, this has gone too far and we need to end this boycott immediately. So to the people who are sitting here and seeing people from one side of the building all the way to the other side of the building and people in between all saying that, yes, we need to end the boycott. We need to end the boycott. They saw this and they said, look, it's, all, it's Abu Jahl against everybody. So they thought that even though it was only five people, they thought that those five people represented everyone in the building because of how strategically they planned it out, what they were going to say, when they were going to say it, and where they were standing in the building. They planned this out very, very intelligently and very beautifully. And it was just Abu Jahl speaking to all of them. So it looked like the whole Quraysh against Abu Jahl, even though it was only five people of the Quraysh against Abu Jahl. So those five people stood up and said, yeah, that's it. We need to end the boycott immediately. Everybody seems to agree. Let's go to the Kaaba right now. And they left Darul Nadwa. They went to the Kaaba. They opened the Kaaba and they took off that piece of paper that had been attached on that wall three years earlier. And they saw a sign of Allah even on that piece of paper that insects had eaten everything that was written in that document except the name of Allah, that is what was spared. The name of Allah was there and everything else was chewed up and eaten by insects. So this was a sign in and of itself that this was a document of vulm and evil. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had showed them this. So when they took off the paper from the wall of the Kaaba, the boycott officially ended. And Abu Jahl couldn't do anything about it because it seemed as if all of the whole Quraysh was against him. So that was how the three-year boycott of the Muslims of Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim in Shi'ab Abi Talib, that is how those three years of suffering ended. And those two clans were allowed then to come back into Mecca, to come back to their homes and business with them and social interactions with them resumed as it was before. And Abu Jahl, when he saw how, how this panned out, how quickly his plan unraveled, he said, هَذَا أَمْرٌ دُبِّرَ وَتُشُوِّرَ فِيهِ بِغَيْرِ هَذَا الْمَكَانِ he said, no, this is not something that just happened spontaneously like this, as it appears. This is something that was planned in the night. And it is something that the people consulted with each other over it, not in this place. This is something that was pre-planned. This is not something that just happened spontaneously. He realized it and he was right. It was something that was planned. But they planned it in such a good way that he couldn't do anything about it. And we learn a lesson here as well that even if you are a few people, a small number of people, but you are well organized, you can defeat a great large number of people who are not organized. Organization is very important. Even if you are small in number but well organized, you will be able to overcome a large number of people who are not organized. And this is one of the lessons we learned from how the boycott of Bani Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim ended. Alhamdulillah. So, three years of suffering and now they are allowed to go back to their homes in the main city of Makkah al-Mukarramah. But the difficulties for the Prophet ﷺ did not end there. That was in the ninth year after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. I'm sorry, the ninth year after the Bi'tha of the Prophet ﷺ, the ninth year after the Prophet ﷺ received the revelation that they came back into Mecca after the boycott ended. So that boycott lasted from the year 6 of the Prophethood to the year 9 of the Prophethood. And the next year after that, the 10th year of the Prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was a very difficult year for the Prophet ﷺ as well. A very difficult year. Perhaps the most difficult year in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And it is known as Amul Huzn, the year of sadness, the year of sorrow. What happened during that year? The 10th year of the Prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. He lost his uncle. Abu Talib ibn Abdul Muttalib finally passed away. And what made it even more sad for the Prophet ﷺ? Yes, he was losing the person who had given him this protection for so many years. Since the beginning of his call, up to the 10th year of his call, 10 years Abu Talib protected him as his own son. So of course, losing him was something that was very difficult for the Prophet ﷺ. But not only that, the fact that he lost his uncle and his uncle did not accept the shahada. He did not become a Muslim on his deathbed. That was something that was very, very painful for the Prophet 
And when Abu Talib was dying, the Prophet Muhammad came to him and he loved him like his father because he was the one who was actually a father to him. So he said to him, Ya Ammi, oh my uncle, say la ilaha illallah. Say la ilaha illallah. Something that I can use and, and intercede on your behalf with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give me something so that I can intercede with this on your behalf with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say la ilaha illallah. Say la ilaha illallah. But the kuffar of the Quraysh, they were present as well. And they said to Abu Talib, Oh, now you're on your deathbed. You're going to leave the religion of your father. You're going to leave the religion of Abdul Muttalib. And he didn't want that to be said about him. So before he died, he said that he dies on the religion of Abdul Muttalib. And he passed away. And of course, this was something that was very, very painful to the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed regarding this innaka la tahdi man ahbabta walakinna Allah yahdi man yasha surely you cannot guide whom you love but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides whom he wills guidance is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone no matter how much you love a person if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want to guide that person that person cannot be guided so this was very difficult for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he lost his uncle who protected him, who treated him like his son. And he lost him in a way that he didn't accept Islam before he passed away. So this really, really caused grief to the Prophet ﷺ. Shortly after that, some of the historians say as soon as three days later after that, and some of the historians say about a month after that, the Prophet ﷺ also lost his beloved wife Khadija radiallahu anha Khadija radiallahu anha who had believed in him when he first received the revelation who had comforted him who was his companion in life for 25 years he lost her as well she had passed away as well so he lost his uncle and he lost Khadija radiallahu anha within a very short span of time. So you can imagine why this year is called Amul Huzn, the year of sorrow, the year of sadness for the Prophet ﷺ, perhaps the most difficult year of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Now that Abu Talib was not around anymore, the kuffar of the Quraysh, they became more bold in their insults and in their harm to the Prophet ﷺ. They said to themselves, look, his uncle isn't here to protect him anymore. Now we can do more of what we wanted to do. So before that, when Abu Talib was there, yes, the Prophet ﷺ would be harmed by them, but he would only be hurt and harmed by the leaders of the Quraysh, like Abu Jahl, like Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, you know, those VIPs of the Quraysh. But now that Abu Talib was not there, even the, the lower classes of the people of the Quraysh, they started to insult and harm the Prophet ﷺ as well. Even children now, they were becoming bold to throw garbage at the Prophet ﷺ and to insult him and to hurt him in any way that they could. So this was some new difficulty and new challenges that the Prophet ﷺ had to face. So in light of all of this, and he saw that in those 10 years, 10 years, he has been 
a prophet. Ten years since he received the first revelation. And how many Muslims were there after ten years? About 150 Muslims. About 150 Muslims in ten years of the prophethood of the Prophet And about 80 of them were in Habasha. And about 70 in Mecca. So the Prophet said, perhaps now it's time. I have tried as much as I could with the Quraysh. Now maybe it's time for me to try to call someone outside of the tribe of the Quraysh. So he decided to go to At-Ta'if. He decided to go to the city of At-Ta'if. And he walked to At-Ta'if in hope that perhaps these people, unlike the Quraysh, perhaps the people of Ta'if, the tribe of Al-Thaqif, perhaps they will be more receptive to the call of Tawheed. Perhaps they will heed this call and perhaps he can get support from the people of Al-Ta'if. And inshallah, next week we will talk about the Prophet Wasallam's trip to Ta'if and the difficulties that he faced there as well. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.